Letter eleven of Clarissa Harlowe, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter eleven. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Friday midnight. I have now a calmer moment. Envy, ambition, high and selfish resentment, and all the violent passions are now, most probably, asleep all around me, and shall now my own angry ones give way to the silent hour, and subside likewise? They have given way to it, and I have made use of the gentlest space to reperuse your last letters. I will touch upon some passages in them, and that I may the less endanger the but just recovered calm, I will begin with what you write about Mr. Hickman. Give me leave to say, that I am sorry you cannot yet persuade yourself to think better, that is to say more justly, of that gentleman, than your whimsical picture of him shews you so, or at least than the humorousness of your natural vein would make one think you do. I do not imagine that you yourself will say, he sat for the picture you have drawn, and yet upon the whole it is not greatly to his disadvantage. Were I at ease in my mind, I would venture to draw a much more amiable and just likeness. If Mr. Hickman has not that assurance which some men have, he has that humility and gentleness which many want, and which, with the infinite value he has for you, will make him one of the fittest husbands in the world for a person of your vivacity and spirit. Although you say I would not like him myself, I do assure you, if Mr. Solmes were such a man as Mr. Hickman, in person, mind, and behaviour, my friends and I had never disagreed about him, if they would not have permitted me to live single. Mr. Lovelace, having such a character as he has, would have stood no chance with me. This I can the more boldly aver, because I plainly perceive, that of the two passions, love and fear, this man will be able to inspire one with a much greater proportion of the latter, than I imagine is compatible with the former, to make a happy marriage. I am glad you own that you like no one better than Mr. Hickman. In a little while, I make no doubt, you will be able, if you challenge your heart upon it, to acknowledge that you like not any man so well especially when you come to consider that the very faults you find in mr hickman admirably fit him to make you happy that is to say if it be necessary to your happiness that you should have your own will in everything but let me add one thing and that is this you have such a sprightly turn that with your admirable talents you would make any man in the world who loved you look like a fool except he were such a one as lovelace forgive me my dear for my frankness and forgive me also for so soon returning to subjects so immediately relative to myself as those I now must touch upon. You again insist, strengthened by Mr. Lovelace's opinion, upon my assuming my own estate. I cannot call it resuming, having never been in possession of it. And I have given you room to expect that I will consider this subject more closely than I have done before. I must, however, own that the reasons which I had to offer against taking your advice were so obvious that I thought you would have seen them yourself and been determined by them against your own hastier counsel but since this has not been so and that both you and mr lovelace call upon me to assume my own estate i will enter briefly into the subject in the first place let me ask you my dear supposing i were inclined to follow your advice whom have i to support me in my demand my uncle harlowe is one of my trustees he is against me my cousin morden is the other he is in italy and very probably may be set against me too my brother has declared that they are resolved to carry their points before he arrives, so that, as they drive on, all will probably be decided before I can have an answer from him, were I to write. And confined as I am, were the answer to come in time, and they did not like it, they would keep it from me. 
In the next place, parents have great advantages in every eye over the child, if she dispute their pleasure in the disposing of her. And so they ought, since out of twenty instances, perhaps two could not be produced when they were not in the right, the child in the wrong. You would not, I am sure, have me accept of Mr. Lovelace's offered assistance in such a claim. If I would embrace any other persons, who else would care to appear for a child against parents ever till of late so affectionate? But were such a protector to be found, what a length of time would it take up in a course of litigation? The will and the deeds have flaws in them, they say. My brother sometimes talks of going to reside at the grove, I suppose with a design to make ejectments necessary, were I to offer at assuming, or were I to marry Mr. Lovelace, in order to give him all the opposition and difficulty the law would help him to give. These cases I have put to myself for argument's sake, but they are all out of the question, although anybody were to be found, who would espouse my cause, for I do assure you I would sooner beg my bread than litigate for my right with my father, since I am convinced that whether the parent do his duty by the child or not, the child cannot be excused from doing hers to him. And to go to law with my father, what a sound has that! You will see that I have mentioned my wish, as an alternative and as a favour, to be permitted, if I must be put out of his house, to go thither. But not one step further can I go. And you see how this is resented. Upon the whole, then, what have I to hope for but a change in my father's resolution? And is there any probability of that, such an ascendancy as my brother and sister have obtained over everybody, and such an interest to pursue the enmity they have now openly avowed against me? As to Mr. Lovelace's approbation of your assumption scheme, I wonder not at. He very probably penetrates the difficulties I should have to bring it to effect without his assistance. Were I to find myself as free as I would wish myself to be, Perhaps Mr. Lovelace would stand a worse chance with me than his vanity may permit him to imagine, notwithstanding the pleasure you take in rallying me on his account. How know you but all that appears to be specious and reasonable in his offers, such as standing his chance for my favour, after I became independent, as I may call it, by which I mean no more than to have the liberty of refusing for my husband a man whom it hurts me but to think of in that light, and such as his not visiting me but by my leave, until Mr. Morden come, and till I am satisfied of his reformation. How know you, I say, that he gives not himself these airs purely to stand better in your graces as well as mine, by offering of his own accord conditions which he must needs think would be insisted on, were the case to happen? Then am I utterly displeased with him, to threaten as he threatens, yet to pretend that it is not to intimidate me, and to beg of you not to tell me when he must know you would, and no doubt intended that you should, is so meanly artful. The man must think he has a frightened fool to deal with, I, to join hands with such a man of violence, my own brother, the man whom he threatens. And what has Mr. Solmes done to him? Is he to be blamed if he thinks a person would make a wife worth having to endeavour to obtain her? Oh, that my friends would but leave me to my own way in this one point! For have I given the man encouragement sufficient to ground these threats upon? Were Mr. Solmes a man to whom I could but be indifferent, it might be found that to have spirit would very little answer the views of that spirit. It is my fortune to be treated as a fool by my brother. But Mr. Lovelace shall find, yet I will let him know my mind, and then it will come with a better grace to your knowledge. Meantime, give me leave to tell you, that it goes against me in my cooler moments, unnatural as my brother is to me, to have you, my dear, who are my other self, write such very severe reflections upon him, in relation to the advantage Lovelace had over him. He is not indeed your brother, but remember that you write to his sister. Upon my word, my dear Miss Howe, you dip your pen in gall whenever you are offended, and I am almost ready to question when I read some of your expressions against others of my relations as well as him, although in my favour, whether you are so thoroughly warranted to call other people to account for their warmth. 
should we not be particularly careful to keep clear of the faults we censure and yet i am so angry both at my brother and sister that i should not have taken this liberty with my dear friend notwithstanding i know you never loved them had you not made so light of so shocking a transaction where a brother's life was at stake when his credit in the eye of the mischievous sex has received a still deeper wound than he personally sustained and when a revival of the same wicked resentments which may end more fatally is threatened his credit i say in the eye of the mischievous sex who is not warranted to call it so when it is reckoned among the men such an extraordinary piece of self-conquest as the two libertines his companions gloried to resolve never to give a challenge and among whom duelling so fashionable a part of brutal bravery that the man of temper who is mostly i believe the truly brave man is often at a loss so to behave as to avoid incurring either a mortal guilt or a general contempt to enlarge a little upon this subject may we not infer that those who would be guilty of throwing these contempts upon a man of temper who would rather pass by a verbal injury than to imbrue his hands in blood know not the measure of true magnanimity nor how much nobler it is to forgive and even how much more manly to despise than to resent an injury were i a man methinks i should have too much scorn for a person who could wilfully do me a mean wrong to put a value upon his life equal to what i put upon my own what an absurdity because a man had done me a small injury that i should put it in his power at least to an equal risk to do me and those who love me an irreparable one were it not a wilful injury nor a vow to be so there could not be room for resentment how willingly would i run away from myself and what most concerns myself if i could this digression brings me back again to the occasion of it and that to the impatience i was in when i ended my last letter for my situation is not altered i renew therefore my former earnestness as the new day approaches and will bring with it perhaps new trials that you will as undivestedly as possible of favour or resentment tell me what you would have me do for if i am obliged to go to my uncle antony's all i doubt will be over with me yet how to avoid it that's the difficulty i shall deposit this the first thing when you have it lose no time i pray you to advise lest it be too late you are ever obliged clarissa harlowe end of letter eleven